All right, glad y'all are here. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge Middle School. You guys can slip out with Jeremy and Autumn. Everybody else, a couple of announcements. So um, we're going to do uh, five services for Christmas Eve. Are three at one o'clock, or no, excuse me, at 1.30, at three o'clock and at 4.30. Those will be family services. So we'll have childcare, zero to four, and then they'll be family friendly in this room. And then we'll have a service at 7.30 and a service at nine. That'll be a bit more con contemplative and we'll, no childcare and we'll take communion. So uh, those will be open starting this afternoon. We, we want you to, we need you to register. 1.30, 3, 4.30, family services. 7.30 and 9, more contemplative and communion services. Um, also, uh, every year we give away our Christmas Eve offering, and so just let you know where that's going. We'll talk more about it in the future, but just as you're planning your end of the year giving, uh, we're going to give to our long-term missionaries. Those are people who consider Stonebridge their home church, both locally and internationally. We're going to give to Park Street Elementary School, which is our partner in education, and we're going to give to Must Ministries, um, which uh, many of you know that's the largest provider of services to the poor here in our area. And they have secured the funding and begun construction on a new building. And what they're asking the local churches to do are to help sponsor beds or expanding their capacity, the, the emergency shelter, and we want to help do that. So we'll be giving in all three of those directions to Must, to Park Street, and to our long-term missionaries, and again, more on that uh, in the future. All right, this is what I want you to do. You're sitting on a note card. I want you to grab that note card. Everybody needs one. Kids, students, everybody gets a note card. And this is what I want you to write on. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you to write on that note card what keeps you up at night. And if you say nothing, we're going to call you a liar. So what keeps you up at night? And if you say nothing, then I would say, well, if something was going to keep you up at night, what would that be? 30 seconds, real quick. Write down as many as come to your mind. All right, some of you need more time, some of you need another note card, you filled up the front and the back, that's all right, we're going to come back to that, uh, so you can just hold on to that for now. Jeremy mentioned Advent, four weeks leading up to Christmas, we culturally are really great at preparing for Christmas Day, we're great at preparing for Santa Claus, we're not great at preparing for Jesus. And so our hope as a church, our children and students and adults, we're all talking about the same things uh, over the course of the next month. And the goal behind all of it, the varsity deal that we're doing this week and then the worship night, all of that is designed to help us prepare our hearts for the coming of Jesus. We don't want to miss anything because we're so busy getting ready for Santa Claus. Uh, one of the disciplines being a part of the people of God is learning to wait. And in the waiting, allowing God to prepare our hearts. That goes all the way back to Genesis 12, first 
promise uh, excuse me, God made to Abraham, you're going to be a great nation. The first thing Abraham did was wait for 25 years before he had Isaac. That's just part of it. Part of being a, a member of God's family is learning how to wait well and allowing God to prepare us for the work that he wants to do. In a lot of ways, we can see the Old Testament as a, a preparatory time. Those were God's people waiting on God to send a deliverer, the Messiah, to them to make everything right. And the Old Testament's full of prophecies that contain hints and clues about who this Messiah would be. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at some of those prophecies. For us, we have the benefit of hindsight. The Jews didn't. They were trying to look ahead, and honestly, it, they missed it in a lot of ways. They, they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. For us, not because we're better than them, just because we were born later, we can look back saying Jesus is the Messiah, and how does he fulfill these prophecies. And so today we're going to start with Isaiah 9, probably the most well-known Old Testament Messianic prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We're going to look at that last title, Prince of Peace. When we hear Prince of Peace, Marietta 2020, we tend to think of Jesus as a great therapist. He's going to help us work out our issues. And he's, he, he can, that's, but that's not what Isaiah's group would have heard. So if you, were, uh, uh, if you lived in Judah, the southern kingdom, when Isaiah was a prophet... Your life was very chaotic. You spent a lot of time, you were scared. When this was written, you were scared. So your country had just been attacked by two other nations, by Aram, those are Syrians, and by Israel, the northern kingdom, like your brothers. They just, both of those nations just attacked you. You won, Judah won, but it cost them a lot. First Chronicles 28 says that Judah lost 120,000 men on one day of that battle with Aram and Israel. Difficult times. Your army is weakened and the other nations around know that. And so now they're starting to attack you as well. They're just picking at you. And then what's behind all of that is the biggest, baddest guy on the block, the Assyrian empire. They're also breathing down your neck. They've, they've already taken massive amounts of territory from the Northern kingdom, from Israel. And they don't just have the biggest and baddest army they are ruthless people. They're, part of their strategy is to scare, the, scare you to death. They, they capture soldiers and they skin them alive. Cut off people's heads and make big pile of skulls. They're just trying to intimidate all of these other nations. And you're living that you, Judah, small nation, weakened army. And you're living in the midst of that insecurity. You're living in the midst of that fear, that anxiety. And in the midst of all of that, God, through the prophet Isaiah, says, I'm going to send you help. I'm going to send you a child. A son is going to be born to you. The government's going to rest on his shoulders. And he's going to be a wonderful counselor. What you hear is he's going to be great. He's going to be fantastic at making battle plans. He's going to create a, a, a path through for us. He's going to be mighty God. You need that. You need someone who's going to lead your army, a deliverer. He's going to be everlasting father. Your king, Ahaz, 
is one of the two or three worst kings in the history of Judah. He is a despicable man. And God is saying, I'm going to send you an everlasting father, someone who's going to shepherd you and take care of you and protect you. He's going to be called Prince of Peace, not a therapist to help you work through your issues, as important as that may be. But someone who's going to defeat your enemies and who's going to secure your borders. All of these nations that are pressing on you, he's going to drive all of those guys away. He's going to create a spot where you guys can experience peace and serenity and calm and all of the things that we think of when we think of peace. And he's going to do that because he's going to defeat your enemies and he's going to make your borders secure. We think about that description and we think about Jesus and how do those things go together? Jesus didn't do any of that. How can we say Jesus is our Prince of Peace? And honestly, it's one of the major reasons he was rejected by his people. They're looking at Isaiah 9, 6 and going, that's not him. We're not a free nation. We're part of the Roman Empire. We're chafing under the rule of this pagan government. And he didn't lift a finger to change that. He didn't lead an army. He didn't lead a revolt or rebellion. Really, the only political thing he ever said was give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God, what, what, what is God's. And, and far from defeating the, the Romans, he got killed by them. How in the world is this guy the prince of peace? How does it fit? The New Testament takes a step back and says, your enemies aren't who you think they are. They're not flesh and blood. It's not the Romans Jesus didn't come to destroy them. He actually came to save them, just like he came to save us. Your real enemies are Satan, this lion who's always prowling around looking for someone to devour. Your your real enemy is death who winds up taking everybody. And his major weapon against us is sin. And Jesus defeated all of them. Through his death, he provides for the forgiveness of our sins. Through his resurrection, he demonstrates that he's overcome death. Through the cross, we read that Jesus makes a public spectacle of Satan and the powers and the principalities, all of his demonic army. He makes a spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he's defeated our real enemies. Not communism or socialism or radical Islam or whatever face you want to put to to that word enemy. He defeats the true enemies of all of us. Sin and Satan and death. He's our prince of peace. He secures our borders. Israel was given dirt. That was their inheritance. God said, here's the land. It's yours. So the prince of peace, the idea is, well, he's going to kind of put up some fences and make sure that we're safe and secure. For us, we, we receive a spiritual inheritance. It's not dirt. It's the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of being adopted into God's family and living forever as sons and daughters of God. Abundant life or eternal life, whatever phrase you want to use there. And Jesus secures that inheritance for us. We're co-heirs with Christ. What he receives, we receive. Think about that. Jesus is our Prince of Peace because he's defeated our true enemy, sin and Satan and death. And Jesus is our Prince of Peace because he secured our inheritance. Abundant life. Life forever. As sons and daughters of God, with all, uh, sons and daughters of God, with all the rights, responsibilities, and privilege, privileges attached to that role, and so the question becomes: If that's who He is, 
Why do we have so many things on our card? Why are there so many things that we worry about and get stressed about and get anxious about? Real quick before we dive in, I'm going to use worry and anxiety interchangeably. That's how most of us use those words. I know that clinically they're not the same thing, but this isn't psychology class. And I also know that some of you struggle with clinical anxiety. And the stuff that I'm going to share is helpful, but it won't be enough. You need to go see a counselor, and you may need to take medicine. And that's okay. Like, there's no shame in that. That doesn't mean you're weak. That doesn't mean that you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean that you're broken beyond repair and God does not care about you. It doesn't mean any of those things. Nobody feels guilty about taking an antibiotic if they've got an infection. And I don't want you to feel guilty or ashamed because you're taking anti-anxiety medicine because you have a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's just the way the Lord works. That's one of the ways that he wants to heal. So if you're in that category, I'm going to push pretty hard. And I don't want you, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Is that good? So most of us, we're not in that clinical category. But we still struggle with worry and with anxiety and with stress. And again, why is that so if Jesus is our Prince of Peace? And we would all say that. We would say, absolutely, he's the Prince of Peace. And maybe we'd even say he's my Prince of Peace. And at times I've experienced that. I can say, yes, he has defeated my enemies. He's defeated sin and Satan and death. And yes, I recognize that he has secured my inheritance. I'm a son or a daughter of God, and I'm going to live in abundant life forever. I, yes, and yet, I worry about the things on this card. And the things on that card are important. If they, if they weren't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't worry about them. And most of them are good. So how do we reconcile those things? So maybe a different way of thinking about worry. This is going to make you feel guilty for a second, but I think ultimately it'll be good. What if we saw worry as a sin? Matthew 6, 25, Jesus says, don't worry about your life. That's an all-encompassing word. Nothing falls outside of the phrase, your life. Don't worry about your life. Your father knows what you need. Don't be um, apprehensive or distressed that the things on your card are not going to go well. That's the New Testament definition of worry. A feeling of apprehension or distress that some misfortune is going to happen. That things aren't going to go well. Don't do that because God knows what you need. So what if rather than just saying, I am a worrier and I come from a long line of worriers, or this is just who I am, or this is part of my personality, what if we said no? Jesus says, do not worry, and so that means we can not worry. Like, it's possible for every one of us to not worry because Jesus commands us not to. So that must be an option for us. And what if we began to see worry as a temptation to be resisted not as an inevitability to be embraced. We would not be okay with anybody in the room saying, you know what, I'm just a liar. That's who I am. Get used to it. I'm a thief. I enjoy taking things that aren't mine. I always have. We, we're not okay. But why are we okay with people saying, I'm just a worrier? That's just, that's just who I am. Part of my personality what if we could say worry is an expression of a lack of trust in God? And so every time we worry, we're sinning 
because we're expressing a lack of trust in God and we're directly disobeying a command of Jesus who said, do not worry about your life. That's all of it, everything on the card. Again, I'm not trying to, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I want to challenge you to interact with worry in a different way, not to see it as an inevitability, but, but maybe to begin to see it as a temptation to be resisted, not something that you just have to give into. So how do we do that? How do we move to a place where worry doesn't dominate our thoughts? Philippians 4, you know this passage. Paul says, don't be anxious. That's the same word as worry. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious about anything. So that's everything. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything on that card. Don't be anxious about any of those things, but in everything, make your request known to God by prayer and petition with thanksgiving and the peace of God will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, don't be anxious, or that's another way of saying, don't worry, which means again, you can not worry. You can not be anxious. One of the things for me that was super helpful, this is kind of a 101 statement, but it was really great for me. So my personality, I'm not prone to worrying. So this is not as difficult for me as it may be for some of you. Another way of saying I'm prone to not worrying is I'm prone to not caring. So that's the other side of that coin. But for some of you that you carry things really heavily. And so worries, it's, it's easier for you to go there than maybe for me. I'm kind of naturally... Um, I kind of have some natural defenses against that, I guess. But as my responsibilities increased, I found myself worrying more and more. And I remember one day, just kind of light bulb went off. Everything on my card is not going to work out the way that I want it to. But God will work through every one of those situations. God will redeem every one of those. He's at work in every one of those situations. Even if things don't work out the way that I want them to, God's always at work. To, to bring things together for his glory and for my good. And that makes it a lot easier to not worry. When I, when I go ahead and admit from the beginning, everything on my card is not gonna work out the way I want my card to work out. But even when it doesn't, God is still at work in those situations. And he is absolutely willing and able to redeem them, to bring beauty from ashes, to do things that are for my good and the good of everybody listed on that card and to his glory. Change things for me. That takes a lot of the pressure off. We tend to worry about the things that we can't control. We hate not being in control. And so if we can't fix something, we fret about it. And it's freeing to say, you know what? Everything's not going to work out the way I want. I, re I realize that. But God will work through everything to make good things out of it. So don't worry. Don't be anxious. And then Paul says, and here's what you do instead. When the temptation comes to worry, instead of doing that, do this instead. Make your request known to God with prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Do that. Invite God to get involved. And you're thinking, that's so trite. Pray? Really? That's what Paul says. If worry is an expression of a lack of trust, prayer is an expression of trust. And God's inviting God to get involved in a situation. I think about the Gethsemane prayer. Father, if you'll take this cup from me, I pray that you would. But if not, I don't want my will to be done. I want your will to be done. I think that's what the 
That's what it looks like. Those things on your card you care about a lot or you wouldn't worry about them. So God, this is what I want to see happen in each one of these areas. This is what I want. But ultimately, if what I want is not what you want, I yield. I surrender. Your will be done, not mine. That's what it looks like to invite God into your note card. It's not, a, it's not passive. God, this is what I want to see happen. I'm an invested party, and this is what I want to see. But I recognize things are not always going to work out the way I want, and I recognize that sometimes what I want is not what's best. And so I yield. I surrender. I'll change things for you. So for me, the way worry manifests or stress, whatever you want to call it, is I'll wake up and I won't be able to fall back asleep. So I'll wake up 1.30 or 2 in the morning, and if I can't fall asleep within about 15 minutes, then, I re- then for me, that's an indication that something's wrong. My mind probably has already started going. And I learned maybe 15, 16 years ago that when that was happening, rather than tossing and turning, the best thing for me to do was just to get up and go up front and sit on the couch and to pray. Not like a 10-second prayer. Obviously, whatever I'm thinking about is significant enough that it's keeping me from falling asleep or going back to sleep at 1.30 or 2. And so I would pray. And I would sometimes pray for a long time. And sometimes I would fall back asleep. And sometimes my day just started at 1.30 or 2 and I was kind of tired. But I'd rather be kind of tired than be really stressed. And so my encouragement to you to begin to invite God in. You need to know what your triggers are. For me, it's if I can't fall back asleep. For you, it may be that you quit eating, or it may be that you start binge-watching things as a way of kind of uh, putting your head in the sand, not dealing with reality. For some of you, you get grouchy. You think you hide it. We know that you don't. What is it? What's the trick? What, what, what is the indication, the check engine light that lets you know you're getting anxious about something, and then rather than worrying, choose to pray? And again, I especially initially, it, it's not 10 seconds, I don't think. It wasn't for me. It was a decent amount of time. I'm not talking about hours and hours and hours, but it was a decent amount of time where I had to pull out and say, all right, God, here's, here's what I'm stressed about. Here are all the things that I'm thinking about, and here's why I'm stressed about them. And over time, that's gotten easier and easier for me to do. But initially, it, it took some learning. And for some of you, worry is such an automatic response. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while for you to learn anew. And I, I do want to tell you this, and you may not believe me, but there'll be a time if your response to worry becomes prayer, the enemy will stop tempting you over time. Because the last thing he wants you to do is pray. He doesn't want you to pray. And if he knows every time he tempts you to worry, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to ask God to get involved, well, he'll probably find something else to do. And again, where you're sitting now, you can't fathom where I'm just, I might as well be telling you to walk on water. It seems so difficult. But I want you to trust that the Lord can do that. Jesus has defeated every one of your enemies. They're all defeated. He's secured your inheritance And he wants you to experience the reality of him as your prince of peace. But we can't do that if we're worried and if we're anxious. 
recognize that's not a part of who you are. You can not worry. You can not be anxious, even about things that are incredibly significant. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about food. That's about as basic as it gets. You can get there with the help of the Lord. So this is how I want us to close. You have a note card, and it's got a list of worries. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares. That's the same word as worry. It's the same word as anxiety. So cast your worries, cast your anxieties. Cast those things on him because he cares for you. I love that flip. We carry these things because we care. And Jesus says, give me your cares because I care for you. He cares for us. He sees us and responds to us in the appropriate way. That's what it means to care. So the first thing I want you to do is, if you're willing, I want you to take that note card and come and drop it in one of these two baskets as a physical way of saying, I'm casting my cares on the Lord. I'm doing that in my heart, and this is just a physical representation of that act. And you also have a gift tag, a little Christmas gift tag. You're sitting on that. And on that gift tag, I want you to write what you want from God for Christmas. And probably it's tied to one of those things on your note card. God doesn't just take our cares from us. He also, because he cares for us, he wants to give us the desires of our hearts. And so I want you to write something on that, something that only God can give you within the next month. We have a prayer here every Tuesday morning. All of you are welcome to come. It's drop in between 6.30 and 7.30. And we'll be praying for those gift tags for the next month. So they will be prayed for. That's not just something you're going to drop in here and it's going to get forgotten. I would love for you to do both of those things, for you to cast your cares before him and to give him an opportunity to care for you by writing on that gift tag. This is something that I want to receive. If you linger up here, then somebody will pray for you and pray that you would experience Jesus as your Prince of Peace. If you want to just drop your card and go back to your seat, then you can do that. I'm going to pray, and Bo and Autumn are going to come up and lead us in the last song of worship. I want you to pray with me. A couple of different groups. So for some of you, you would say you come by worry honest. You can look up your family tree. You can see it in your parents and your grandparents and aunts and uncles. And you, this is just part of what it means to be a fill in the blank. That's part of what it means to be an eldridge. We just worry. So this is not about blaming your relatives. We're all responsible for our own hearts. But just like we receive um, uh, a tangible inheritance from our family, we also receive a spiritual inheritance. And some of that's good, and some of it's not great. And so what we want to do is hold on to the things that are good, and we want to leave the baggage at the door. And so if you, if, when you think about worry, if you can see it in your family tree, and again, not blaming anybody, I would encourage you to pray this with me. God, I, I acknowledge that worry, it, it runs in my family. And I don't want it to anymore. I want it to end with me today. So I'm asking you to break that. We're just going to call it a curse. God, I'm asking you to break that spiritual curse in my life. Break the curse of worry and anxiety. And I pray beginning today, Holy Spirit, you will begin to form within me new patterns of dealing with things that are concerning to me. 
that my response would not be worrying and fretting, but, in, but praying and trusting. And God, I certainly pray that this would not get passed on to my children or my children's children. Let it in now. Some of you would say, I come by worrying honestly, and it's not because of my parents or my grandparents. It's because I'm the one that gets struck by lightning more than once. I'm the statistical anomaly. If something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And I can give you a list. And so it's made you that ex- those experiences have made you anxious because you've experienced some of those worst case scenarios. People have said, oh, don't worry about that. And it's happened. Now you're going to worry about it. I would encourage you just to pray something similar to this. God, I'm a worrier. And I feel like I'm a worrier by experience. I've had things to be worried about. There have been times where the worst has happened. And God, I pray that you would bring healing to my heart. I want to confess and acknowledge that you have plans for me and they're to prosper me and not to harm me. That you have a hope and a future for me. And it's good. And God, I don't want to let my past determine the way I respond to my circumstances in the present or the way I think about my future. Jesus says the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. And so we're just going to ask and I encourage you to pray this, all of you. Holy Spirit, would you guide me more deeply into the truth that Jesus is my Prince of Peace, that he's overcome every one of my enemies, sin and Satan and death, that he's secured my inheritance, abundant life in the family of God forever. And I want to experience that reality today. I don't want to let worry and anxiety rob me of the peace that he longs to give. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys come forward quick, and uh, you can go back to your seat and worship along with Bo and Autumn, and they'll dismiss us in a couple of minutes.